one main theme that is honestly it's it's very simple uh, but as um, the the older I get the more I realize that a lot of what the Bible has to say isn't really stuff that I don't understand so much as it's stuff that I, I struggle to believe. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff the Bible says very plainly, um, though I've also learned that um, sometimes in the cleverness of, of trying to come up with a sermon, sometimes things get all weird. Um, I just think there's a lot of benefit to just reading the text and saying, oh, so that's what it says, you know, and just sort of going through it that way. That's why our, our habit has been reading through like the chapter that um, that we're going to talk about, reading it through all the way first. I found that it settles me. It helps me to get sort of the overall context of the whole chapter, you know, and, and then I can fit the pieces in because um, I struggle with somebody taking one or two little verses of something and then pulling it out of everything else that it was talking about, you know, and then saying, well, here's what that means for you. And it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, you know, maybe we're, we're mishandling that, you know? So, um, in my efforts to be cautious about that, because I think at the end of the day, if, if my responsibility is to you guys, if my responsibility is to you to help you to, um, to hear the scriptures, to help you to understand the scriptures, to help you to hear God, to know him through his word, then the best thing, like the, the top thing that I could do is just to tell you what the scriptures say, right? Not to um, be clever, not to try to entertain. I don't know if some of you guys heard about the this pastor of this big church last week. <laughs> this sermon illustration. <laughs> it's terrible. He spit in his hand and then wiped spit on the guy's face next to him, you know. It's, <sighs> yeah, uh, he, he, this this guy's really popular for pretty outrageous um, illustrations like that. But uh, anyways, very interesting <laughs> thing. Um, don't really want to talk about that. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, um, he who, so he who... Um, plants is nothing and he who waters is nothing but it's god who gives the increase and he's talking about the people who are responsible for the for their teaching the corinthians teaching whether it was those who first taught them the planters or whether it was those who continued on teaching them the waterers so that they would continue to grow the reality was the life that was produced in them was only produced by god not by the people that god was using it was paul's way of putting down the um, the arrogance or the pride of, of the, the leaders and of those who are saying, well, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of this pastor, I'm of this teacher and, and, and sort of dividing themselves up that way, you know? So, um, <clears throat> so the best thing I can do for you is just to say what God said. And if God produces life in us, then it's God who did it. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you say, praise the Lord, because he used his word to, to transform us, to, to work in us. And I need, I need um, the Lord as much as you. Actually, I'm confident I need the Lord more than any of you guys. But. All right, let's read. <laughs> now that I've wasted a few minutes here, let's read. <laughs> let's get to the word. John 10, uh, only 42 verses. Only, did you hear that? Only 42 verses this morning, right? It's a short one, right? We've gone through like 70 before, you know, so 42 is not too bad. Let's jump in to John chapter 10. Oh, I made a rhyme. Let's jump in to John chapter 10. <laughs> all right, all right, let's move on. Is it hot in here to you guys and like burning up? <laughs> The heater's like pumping. The pregnant lady in the back's like, it's hot. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it was just very cold when we got here this morning. So, All right, for real this time. John 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. (laughs) All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be rescued. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he was not the shepherd. One who doesn't own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't, doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you don't believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I've shown you from my Father. For which of those good works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. All right, you guys, let's pray. And then we'll jump into the Good Shepherd story here. All right. Uh, Father, we are really, really thankful that you sent Jesus. Father, I'm really thankful that you have spoken to us. While while we might know um, your power, how, how wonderful and awesome you are by looking at um, the created order, and the more we study it, the more complex and amazed we are, the more complex we find it to be than what we had imagined. 
How remarkable, Lord, how, how awesome you are to make and sustain all of this. But this morning I thank you that you've done more than that. That you've spoken in time past to the fathers of Israel through the prophets. And I thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son, whom you have appointed heir of everything. And I pray that this morning again you'd speak to us. Lord, it's you that we need. Speak, Father. Meet us, I pray. Would you please do it in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. All right, you guys. Good shepherd. Uh, It is funny that, not funny, ironic, I suppose, as it's been pointed out, that sometimes people these days are saying, if you're going one group of sometimes even Christians or people that (laughs) call themselves Christians, use the term uh, being a sheep or a sheeple or some nonsense like that as like a bad thing, right? Like, well, you're just going along with the crowd and you're just a sheeple or whatever. All right, bro. Um, uh, Whereas, like in this passage, uh, among others, um, we find uh, this reference, the reference of those following Jesus to be his sheep uh, is a, a... positive thing right it's not it's not a negative thing right um so anyways it's an ironic criticism of others to call them sheeple when i'm supposed to be a sheep jesus sheep (laughs) i'm supposed to be following him right so um uh, one thing before we get started i think is just an interesting note it's more apropos later on when we get to later on uh, books of the new, later books in the New Testament. Uh, the word shepherd, while it's translated shepherd here, uh, is the word that we commonly think of and use for the word pastor. It's the same Greek word. Just uh, that's what the word pastor means. It means a shepherd. <clears throat> so, and I want to. Uh, we'll look at a couple of passages in the Old Testament and read some of the things that God said about. Uh, this idea of a shepherd and about the responsibility of those leading Israel in the Old Testament and God's promise of what he would he would do uh, later. So, all right, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, most assuredly, I say to you, remember, this is coming on the heels of Jesus, uh, essentially telling the Jews, um, the uh, leadership in Israel, um, the last thing he said to them in verse 41 of chapter 9 was, if you were blind, you'd have no sin, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. It was uh, this reality that they were like, no, we know what is right. We we can see the truth and we understand that because they thought that, the reality was they were blind. <laughs> and Jesus is, is um, revealing that spiritual blindness to them. And he used that situation with the man who was born blind. Uh, to talk about uh, some this greater idea of them being spiritually blind, though they thought they could see, they were in fact uh, blind. That phrase, by the way, um, if you were blind, you would have no sin. Jesus is going to use that a couple more times. He's going to say, if this is true, then you would have no sin. If this is true, then you would have no sin. He uses it three times in the book of John. John records that for us. Uh, it seems to me as best I can tell, is sort of a way of saying you would have no no sin in relation to your rejection to me of me, right? That there's it's a specific sin that Jesus is talking about, not no sin in general, but rather uh, the particular sin of rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, which they had done in attributing Jesus' works to the power of the devil, to the power of Beelzebub, rather than to God's Spirit. Something that Jesus addressed directly with them. Uh, regardless, this is on the heels of that. Remember that our chapter and verse divisions don't exist, right? Those were those were given to us, added later, so that you and I could turn to the same page at the same time. That's all they're there for. Okay, uh, so this is right on the heels of Jesus saying that to the leaders, and then he continues. After he says, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. I think this is just a common, he's using this as an illustration. If somebody's not going in through the door and they're trying to climb over the side of the sheepfold, then they're there for nefarious purposes, right? Like they're not there in the way that they're supposed to be. This is the idea. 
But verse two, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration This is sort of, I think, John's parenthetical commentary on Jesus' teaching. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. They didn't understand what he meant by saying this. I think that certainly if you grew up in the church, maybe you have this concept or this idea of Jesus as he's going to tell us here, he being the good shepherd uh, and us being his sheep, we who follow him being uh, his sheep. We can understand this illustration that we follow him. Right. Uh, whereas uh, it seems that they struggled to understand what this meant at the time. Now, verse seven continues thusly. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. <laughs> Sorry, I, I laugh because some, some of these I am statements, sometimes like, like when it comes to something like the Eucharist or the Lord's table or communion, where Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Sometimes people say, well, this means that it's, it's literally that. Like, well, does this mean Jesus is literally a door? Because he's going to say that later on. I am the door. Like, okay, <laughs> I think I think we can use some common sense here, right, and understand that that there's uh, there's some figurative language being used at times. So, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Difficulty is that uh, <clears throat> it's easy to say I'm a sheep. <laughs> It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. It's easy to say that. But the, the question really, the, the truth of the matter really, really boils down to, am I following the shepherd of the sheep? That's really what it boils down to at the end of the day, because there are lots of people in, uh, in, uh, across the world that say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. But are, you, are we really? Am I really? Am I following Jesus? All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door, he says in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be rescued and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. As I mentioned to you before we got started this morning, the issue that I have personally with a lot of this text is not so much that I don't understand what Jesus is saying. The problem is that I I struggle to believe him. I think that he's clear. He's the door. Anyone who enters by him will be saved. This is another one of those exclusivity claims that Jesus makes, that he is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. All the others, Jesus said, anybody trying to come up and climb around some other way, they're thieves and robbers. The thief, he says, doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Please stop right there for a second. This is a verse widely taken out of its context, particularly out of the context of historical first century Christianity. These are people who believed Jesus and then who were murdered. Many of them, not everybody, but many of them were murdered, exiled, Terrible things happen to them. So then we need to examine what we mean when we say you will have life and have it abundantly. Because if our concept of that is the American dream, then we're not hearing Jesus. If our concept of having life abundantly is more money, more cars, more fame, more dollars, whatever, then our concept is one that is detached from the context of historical Christianity and detached from Jesus himself who gave up his life for others. 
who laid down his life, as he's going to say, nobody takes it from me. <laughs> I love when they're looking for him, and John points us out, and Jesus says, I am, and they all fall over. <laughs> like, he, he could have changed it like that if he intended to, but he was, he was laying his life down. It was not taken from him. And, and by the way, that's one of the problems with some of the theology that's creeping up around the, the sacrifice of Jesus in, in sort of equating him to, to, uh, to what people see as modern-day martyrs in certain scenarios nowadays, people who, who lose their lives for other reasons. One of the difficulties here is that Jesus did not lose his life in the sense that it was taken from him. He surrendered his life. He gave it up. No one took it from him, and he makes that very clear. Um, which, if you're the only thing then that I want to say about that is, um, n- ain't nobody like Jesus. <laughs> okay, um, in in that sense. Um. <clears throat> I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. What then does that mean? Well, for the Apostle Paul, <laughs> it, meant, it meant traveling around the world. It meant uh, one time um, getting stoned, uh, not with pot, uh, getting stoned with giant rocks. They, they threw big rocks at him. <laughs> it's different stoned, right? They threw big rocks at him. They thought he was dead, so they dragged him out of the city and they left him for dead. And then he recovered and went back into the city because Paul's like, <laughs> Paul's a dude. <laughs> like, like, he went back into the city after he got up. From that, however long it took him to come to, I guess. Uh, Paul was uh, beaten um, with rods. Uh, he was uh, whipped. He received 40 stripes minus one on five separate occasions. Abundant life. Abundant living. <laughs> James was sawn in half. Right? That sounds fun. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't sound fun. Uh, we've really got to strip away from our understanding of the scriptures. A lot of the uh, American cultural ideas and ideals that are really more about uh, about greed and envy and self-centeredness. Jesus had taught the disciples that whatever they lose for his sake, whether it was houses or, or, or even family or other things, that they'd be repaid a hundredfold. That sounds abundant. But that abundant life may not look like what you or I think it is. While we are conditioned by our culture to chase ease and to chase safety, to use that again, <laughs> while our shepherd, who is the good shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, and it's still true. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, and it is still true. The kingdom of God, Paul said, is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And you can have that life to its fullness here, even while you're being beaten with rods, even while you are imprisoned, even while you are, well, well maybe that's not going to happen to you. I don't know. You and I, are we live such easy lives compared to, uh, <laughs> well, right, compared to the rest of the world, compared to people throughout history. Guys, <laughs> And we have made up so many problems these days because we don't deal with the problems people used to have to deal with. (laughs) And in many parts of the world, frankly, still do have to deal with. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. (laughs) Be cautious about... um, allowing that idea uh, to be co-opted by the American dream. Uh, Which is frequently built on the backs of, you know, using other people to get what I want. So, (laughs) 
Verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I just kind of want you to, to just sit with that for a second. Because I know that there are things that happen in your life that cause you to ask, are you really the good shepherd? And I just want you to hear him say, I am the good shepherd. There's been a lot of conversation about um, recently about Christian deconstruction or reconstruction, or however people might want to term, um, shedding off ideas that they were uh, had learned earlier. Even some pretty, um, in the past couple of years, some pretty prominent figures who've renounced Christian faith. <clears throat> And I, uh, I read a lot of that and, and examine it as best I can. Um, at the end of the day, I keep coming back to this idea over and over and over again that Jesus is the good shepherd. One of the things I'm also, I'm also trying to be more aware of is that there's a lot I don't know there's a lot that I don't know. And let me state it another way. Not only is there a lot I don't know, but frankly, there's a lot that I can't know. And so this statement of Jesus where he says, I am the good shepherd, uh, at once, I'm confronted when I hear it with the the choice then, with the examination at least of saying, will I believe him that he in fact is the good shepherd who leads his sheep? Like I mentioned to you earlier, I don't struggle so much with understanding what's being said as much as I struggle with, with believing what's being said. Because I look at the world around me, I read the news, I see things that have happened in my own life that, as I mentioned, uh, might cause us to ask and have, are you really good? And I just want you to know that he is the good shepherd. There's a lot that, that you and I don't know. There's a lot that we can't know. And I know sometimes you struggle with believing that he's good, but he's good. He's the good shepherd, he said. This concept is one rooted in historical Jewish thinking. The prophets had written uh, numerous things about the shepherds of Israel, about their leadership, about those who were overseeing and responsible for them. And God had referred to himself as their shepherd. And, and I want to read a couple of passages related to that um, at the end of our, our time here in just a minute, because I think that it, because um, I oftentimes when I'm reading Jesus, I'm thinking, where did he come up with these ideas? And then I read the Old Testament and I'm like, oh, it's, it was all, it was all there. <laughs> I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hiring flees, hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Um, I've been in, in ministry circle things for some time now, and often when we come to passages like this, immediately there's a push to um, personal application, particularly if you're in ministry or pastoral ministry, where we immediately are trying to push this to, this is what you need to do as a pastor. You need to lay your life down for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. And and um, you can't be a hireling. You know, you don't want to just be there like, like it's a job or whatever. Um, 
and you shouldn't be there for money like a hireling would be there just to get more money, you know, and all of that stuff. And, and while all of that is true, fine. Um, this is about Jesus. It ain't about me. <laughs> right? It's such a weird, like, sometimes we like rush to be like, this is how you should do this. Like, fine, but uh, all those things are good and well, whatever. Um, but Jesus is the good shepherd, my friends. Do you hear him? I know that sometimes you're confused about what step you should take or what direction to go or about what's happening in your life. But he's a good shepherd. He's leading. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. Isn't it good news that he's not a hireling? He hasn't forsaken you. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm not like that. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. The implication is that he cares about the sheep. (laughs) I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And in case you're wondering what that section is about, don't get all funky because people get all weird about it. They're like, well, this means people in other religious systems that aren't embracing Jesus are also his sheep. And that's not at all what he says. <clears throat> this is directly uh, correlated to what the Apostle Paul teaches about the Jew and the Gentile being brought together into one body. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah and prophet speaking to his own people in his first coming, laying his life down for them as the prophets of Israel had foretold about their Messiah. But as they rejected him, (laughs) this message, this great news of salvation came not only to the Jews, but then was brought to to the goyim, that's the Hebrew word for the nations, to everyone else, right? And then while there was this division between the Jewish people and between the rest of the world, Um, created, if you would, by Moses, by the keeping of the law, by the sacrificial and religious system of Israel. There was a dividing wall between them. So in the church, in the body of Jesus, that dividing wall is taken away and the two become one. We are united together in one body in him, both Jew and Gentile united together in Christ. This is something Paul teaches very clearly in the book of Ephesians. I also commend to you uh, the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians if you want to really dig deeper into that concept. But that's what Jesus is very directly referring to here. Yes, in fact, he does have other sheep who aren't a part of this fold. They're the Gentiles. <laughs> They're the, the, the not Jewish people, okay? Because he's primarily speaking to Jews uh, here in his, uh, in his first coming and in these teachings here. So anyways, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Again, this is part of the problem when people just snip one little verse out and they say, well, this means that, you know, if you're a good Buddhist, then, you know, you're part of Jesus fold. Or if you're a good Muslim, if you're a good whatever, then you're still part of the um, the fold. Cause I have other sheep that aren't of this fold. He said, it's just out of the context of the teaching of the, the prophets and the apostles, right? Um, because there's one gate. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door, he said. Verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. This for me, by the way, really helps me to wrap my head around the idea of God's sovereignty and of our responsibility in our decision making. And by wrap my head around, I simply mean accept. <laughs> I, I don't mean actually fully understand. Uh, and here's what I mean. Because for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was the the leadership who were getting people to lie about Jesus. 
It looked like it was all of them and their conspiracy against him and then delivering him over to Pilate and then Pilate's authority as the Roman governor, his authority to execute capital punishment and to have Jesus crucified. It was all them, right? Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down and to take it up again. So, which is true? Was it Jesus or was it them? Yes, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> I lay it down of myself, he said. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. That's what the law had said. Daily sacrifices offered, morning and evening sacrifices offered for sin over and over and over again. In the Day of Atonement, once a year, blood was sprinkled in the most holy place, in the Holy of Holies. As they took the blood of one animal and offered it there, then they put their hands on the scapegoat and confessed the sins of the nation on the scapegoat and then sent the scapegoat away into, a, into a, an empty, deserted place. The idea of sending away their sin. All of these things pointing forward to the fulfillment of them, to the reality. All of those being symbols to point us to the reality. And now Jesus comes and he says, I lay my life down. I am the good shepherd. No one takes his life from him. He lays it down. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of, of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This reminds me of um, C.S. Lewis' uh, conjecture, conjecture uh, about Jesus that he must be either a liar or a lunatic, or he must be the Lord, right? He leaves us no alternative. C.S. Lewis pointed out that he's either a liar. The things that he said are crazy. I'm the door, right? He's either a liar. He's lying about that, or, or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. That was some of their response here, that he was mad. He was out of his mind. He was crazy. So he's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, a crazy person who doesn't really know what he's doing or saying. Or he's telling us the truth and he really is the Lord. This is a similar uh, sort of a summary here. Some people said he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're still amazed by that particular thing, opening the eyes of the blind of the man who was born blind, a situation that we read about in John chapter 9. As that man whose eyes were opened said, from the beginning of the world, it's never been heard of that a person who was born blind had their eyes opened again to where they could see. Right? He even points it out, like nobody's ever heard of something like this. But Jesus did it. <clears throat> uh, by the way, these are still things being deba debated today, right? <laughs> when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, when I'm trying to talk to people about what I believe and about what they believe, at the end of the day, this is always where I bring it. And we say, what do you say about him? Who is he? What about Jesus? We can talk about <laughs> we can talk about the laws about slavery in the Old Testament all day long if you want to. But what do you say about Jesus? <laughs> we can wrestle with, we can we can talk about and conjecture and, and whatever, ask questions about all sorts of stuff. But what do you say about Jesus? This is where it always comes back to. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. You guys know what the Feast of Dedication is, right? It's Hanukkah. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah in that sense. <laughs> it's giving us a time frame, right? The last feast that they were at was the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. That's a fall festival. And now uh, a little bit of time has passed. Now it's, uh, it's Hanukkah. It's um, the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. And it was winter, as you know. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. 
Everybody now gathers around him. They're like, give us an answer. If you are really the Messiah, let us know. Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe, (laughs) which is frequently the case. It wasn't that they needed more information. It wasn't that he wasn't clear. It was that they just didn't believe him. I've also found that in my Bible reading, that's really most of the time what my problem is. (laughs) Frequently, it's not that I need more information. It's just that I struggle to believe that this is what is true and what is right. And that's where at the root of my my problems and my sin really lies. It's in my unbelief. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews, as we read, surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. He said, I I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Not only did he tell them, Jesus said, the works that I'm doing in my Father's name, they are also a witness. That's at least twofold witness there, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. (laughs) This is one of those things where you're like, oh, wait, what? Is that what I wanted to hear? You don't believe because you're not of my sheep, he said. Because his sheep hear his voice. In a lot of John's writing, we get back to this idea of God's sovereignty, of God's choice, of God's authority. He's like, I've done this stuff, but you don't believe me because you're not of my sheep. Paul's going to write about it later, and he says, listen, guys, God has mercy on whomever he wants. And whom he wants, he hardens. And we're like, well, that's offensive to me because I'm a individualistic American and I have choice and I get to exercise my rights. Well, why doesn't God get to choose then? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) It means that God exists forever as Father and as Son and as Spirit. And everything else was created by him and is subject to him. There is nothing else that exists but God and what God has created. That is all. He has no, there is nothing equal to him. He's not in some cosmic yin-yang, dualistic battle, good versus evil, Nope. He is the sovereign God. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean then about, about the suffering that we see in the world around us? This is where a lot of the, the hang up tends to come down to for many. What does that mean about the trouble that we see? What does it mean about the the sorrow and the hurt? One thing it means for me is that there's a whole lot that I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know. And a lot that I can't know. So at the end of the day, I sit and I say, Lord, either I'm going to believe you or I'm not. Because there's a lot that I can't know the answer to. And when I get to a place where I think I can, then I'm afraid that I'm consumed with arrogance. (laughs) With pride. Last little little bit here, and we'll wrap up. Um... I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said that. And their response shows they knew exactly what he was saying. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I've shown you from my Father. For which of those 
For which of those works do you stone me? I'm sorry, but this sounds like like the smart alekiest response to me. Like <laughs> I've done a lot of good stuff. For which of those good things are you going to stone me? <laughs> <clears throat> the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Hey, I know there are people nowadays that say, Oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, he that's not really what he meant. He was just from God. He was just another created being. He's an angel. He's the brother of Satan. There's all these different ideas out there, right? Listen to me. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying about himself, and they made it clear. You being a man, you are trying to make yourself to be God. They knew exactly what he was claiming. Jesus answered them, Is is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. This is a quote from Psalm 82. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, also one of the things I've noticed about a lot of these deconstruction stories is that many of them are rooted first in um, the um, uh, refusal to accept uh, the scriptures, the writings. That's where a lot of them start. The same thing that was started in the garden. Did God really say? And we're still asking the same question. Did God really say what he said? Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. This is a word scripture means the writings. The writings cannot be broken. This is a frequently used term in the New Testament to refer to the writings of the prophets. Okay, to the Torah and to the writings of the other prophets of Israel. This is a commonly used term. Paul uses it in a number of places as well as other New Testament writers. The scripture cannot be broken. Again, the problem here isn't that I don't know what he's saying. The question is, am I going to believe him? That's the real issue. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? And that's what you find in that particular psalm, Psalm 82.6, is this this other usage of that phrase, sons of God. Okay. It was something that uh, was used, and particularly in that setting, as well as in some others, to refer to uh, God's people. Um, and so Jesus said, the scripture can't be broken. And this is something that was done before. So why are you guys saying I'm blaspheming now? <clears throat> Verse 37, if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe, believe me rather, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Jesus said, look at what I'm doing which is one of the reasons why we see so many miracles and other things centered around the ministry of Jesus, because uh, he was sent to fulfill the the, um, word of the prophets and to demonstrate to Israel that he was their Messiah. And we see a lot of those things happening. When we get to the book of Acts, we'll see a few of them happening, but we'll also see those things taper off significantly, which is uh, one of the reasons why sometimes people say, well, why don't we see, you know, so many healings and all these things like, like happened around Jesus, you know, um, Well, because God was doing a particular thing at a particular time. Also, I like to remind people that all of the healings of Jesus were all temporary things. And while beneficial, at least in the moment, for the people who who participated in them, it was, in fact, only for a moment, right? You're all dying. If you're healed of some illness or some disease now, wonderful. Praise the Lord. But the last enemy is death, gang. And Jesus has conquered that. That is his promise to us. And it is that that we hold up to a world that says everything is meaningless. Everything happens by chance. No one is in charge. There is no shepherd. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. Therefore they sought again, verse 39 says, therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand after he said that. Um, Believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. The Father is in me and I in him. This is another situation where he's equating himself to the Father, showing that they are on equal ground um, in that sense. This is part of the mystery of this doctrine that we call the Trinity that there is one being who is God, who exists forever as Father and as Son and as Spirit. And the classical way that we um, refer to that is that he exists as three persons and as one being. And if that messes with your head, (laughs) great. Verse 40 says, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. Now he leaves Jerusalem. He goes uh, out into the wilderness, into the deserted areas where John was baptizing. When John first started his ministry, that's John the Baptist. It's not John who's writing this letter. This is J the B. That's his his hip-hop name. Um, (laughs) And many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. And if there's any testimony that I think would be fine for my life, like I want it to be that. Jason didn't do any signs. But everything he said about Jesus was true. That's the kind of that's the kind of life I want to live, like John the Baptist. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the Lord would, you know, allow some signs. I don't care. But at the end of the day, what I want is for the things that I've said about Jesus to be true. That's what is really significant. That's what really matters. And many believed in him there. All right. So um, a couple of other places I wanted to read really quickly. I'm not going to, come on, it's only 11.52. You're not going to be done right now. Come on. <laughs> uh, so there are two main places I wanted to read a little bit from um, in the Old Testament, but related to these ideas. But the other, I, I do want to give you a couple of other references. Um, if you read through the book of Jeremiah um, in particular, um and, and Ezekiel, both of those um, prophets, you find um, God rebuking the nation of Israel and their shepherds, the people who are teaching and leading them. Um, God frequently rebuking them, saying, they're telling you a vision of their own heart. I haven't spoken to them. But they're telling you what they think is true inside of themselves. And if there's any word that is fascinatingly still true for like the American community is that our shepherds are frequently just teaching us a vision of their own heart. What do you mean by that? I mean, look at the people who are leading us. And and I'm not talking about necessarily our, our, um, our political leaders. Uh, I'm talking about our thought leaders, the ones who are shepherding what we're thinking that we're, we're mimicking on Facebook and, and Twitter and whatever. And yes, some of them, the people that are on the news stations, they're, they just, they're telling you a vision of their own heart. God hasn't spoken to most of them. They're just telling you what they think, what they want to be true frequently. And God rebuked the nation of Israel and, and these uh, shepherds. God promised them that he would raise up uh, shepherds who would feed them uh, with truth. Um, I want to read two, two sections here. One you might be familiar with. My mom taught me this when I was a little kiddo. I still am a little kiddo, by the way. How, is this just me? When I go to the grocery store, if I go to the grocery store by myself, if I go to the store by myself and I'm getting my stuff in my shopping cart and I'm checking out, every time I go through the checkout line, like with the register and stuff, I literally feel like Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone every single time. When he, you know, I'm talking about the scene when he goes to the store and he's like this little kid 
and uh, and and it feels like the person's looking at him like, "What are you doing here, little kid?" Like that's what I feel like every single time I go to the grocery store by myself. <laughs> it's easier when I have my kids there. <laughs> uh, but anyways, sorry, just let you into my brain a little bit. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'll be forty this year, by the way. <laughs> Uh, uh. <laughs> All right, this is one that my mom taught me when I was a, a little guy. Um, my mom taught me to pray this. If we're wondering what Jesus meant when he said, I am the good shepherd. Psalm 23, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And if you if you flip to that reference in your Bible, what you'll find is the word Lord. You'll find that it's um, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Because this is David saying Jehovah, saying Yahweh is my shepherd. So now when Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, do you see the connection Jesus is making now to this very common known psalm of the prophet David, of King David? The Lord is my shepherd, David said. Jehovah is my shepherd. Now Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. Who do you think he's saying he is? <laughs> I am the good shepherd. Psalm 23 continues. I just want you to listen. This is when I, I share frequently at funerals. Um, because I'm trying to, I want people to really embrace what it's saying here and to ask the question, is this really true of me? Can I really pray this way? Can I really say this? Is the Lord really my, my leader, my shepherd, the one taking care of me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. For many years, I didn't know what that meant, and I was very confused about why, if the Lord was my shepherd, I didn't want him. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, <laughs> this is one of the difficulties sometimes with language, right? So, as I got older, I learned that this means there's nothing that I lack. I have what I need. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I am in want of nothing. Hey, is that true right now for you? Can I pray this prayer with sincerity? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because sometimes I think there's a lot of stuff that I need. A lot of stuff that needs to change. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My mom taught me to pray that when I was a little guy. And I remember many nights of fear in finding the Lord. As I was reminded of his faithfulness and of his love. That he is, in fact, the good shepherd. I started the teaching today by saying the issue here in John 10 isn't so much that I don't know what he's saying. The real issue is that I struggle to believe him. 
because life can be hard and things happen that I don't expect or I don't like or I look at and I judge as bad or evil or, or wrong without recognizing all the while that I, there's just so much I don't know. And so the issue then for me is, Jason, are you going to believe me? Or are you going to think that you've got to figure it all out? Does it have to make sense to you? That's really hard for me. Because I want everything to make sense to me. (laughs) But there's a lot I don't know. The last thing I wanted to read to you is Isaiah 40. Past it. I'm just going to read the chapter and then we'll pray because it's 12. (laughs) Look at that. Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah says this. uh, Records for us, rather. Records this for us. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule over, over, shall rule for him. Sorry. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who has, who as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith spread overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely, scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see he who has created, see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. No, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the only question then, my friends, is do you believe him? That's all. Father, help. (laughs) Help. Help, Lord. Help me because I am frequently influenced by ideas that have nothing to do with you. From people who do not know you. Jesus said, the writings cannot be broken. I rejoice this morning that you are the good shepherd, even when it doesn't make sense to me. How arrogant it is of me to think that it has to make sense to me. Who am I? You, you are the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And you are full of compassion and mercy. In ways that we have yet to really fully explore. My Father, let us be in awe of you. And with the days that remain, whatever time that may be, let us be like people who follow our shepherd, like sheep following him. He who laid his life down. Let us do that for others, Lord, (laughs) knowing that you will raise us up. Let us live that, Lord. Show us what it means to live that life that you've promised that is abundant, that is full of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Shed from us, remove from us the, the, the trappings of cultural Christianity and let us walk in the truth, Lord. Jesus, you promise that in hearing you we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. We long to know that more. I pray you'd be honored with us, that you'd help us to find ways to serve one another, to love each other, and then to to let that pour out into our community as we overflow with love and joy in you and for one another, that we would be um, sharing that with others, Lord. Pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Please, Lord, please do it. (laughs) Amen, amen, amen. Guys, thank you for your time, for your patience. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you, his smile on you, and give you peace, you guys. The Lord give you peace. If you have anything